Hello everyone, it's Friday the 31st of July and welcome to episode 16 of the Kite Podcast 2020 with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now back on episode 6 of the show, we talked about the Milk Your Moments campaign, Dairy's latest advertising venture, encouraging us to connect with people in our lives and celebrate the role of dairy in those moments of connection. Now of course, here in Kite Podcast land, the Kite Podcast team do this every week connecting and bonding over dairy so what better example of the campaign in action and where better to discuss its success the essence of the campaign has clearly worked here but how successful has it been in the world beyond chris's fridge and we gather his extra special breakfast this morning today we're going to reflect on that question why perhaps was it important to kickstart the campaign and where does uk dairy go from here in terms of marketing its message We're also going to talk about the new obesity strategy and with just over 150 days to go until the UK really is out of Europe, is the dairy industry going to be ready for whatever meets us in 2021? And to discuss all of this, we are joined by Judith Bryans, Chief Executive at Dairy UK, and Paul Vernon, the chairman and also the boss of mozzarella maker Glambia Cheese in the UK. Now, the one who keeps us all in order, Kite's very own Becky Leach, is also on the show today. And as always, we're also joined by everyone's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Welcome, everybody. Chris... Let's start with your weekly milk market update. Where are you or what are you doing this week? I'm having breakfast in my bedchamber this morning. Um, (laughs) And for once during the making of these podcasts, we're doing them at a sensible time of the day. (laughs) For the benefit of my listeners, some of these podcasts are recorded as early as eight o'clock in the morning. And I don't know anyone who starts work in this industry that early. (laughs) Today it's 11 o'clock and my breakfast time. And my butler's bought me this, a fabulous Domino's mozzarella pizza with added mozzarella. And delicious it is too. Here it is. Here it is. Can you see that? Lovely. Looks nice. And I wanted to show Paul how great it looks to show what brilliant career pathways there are in the dairy industry. Because your role at Glambia, you just get to make the cheese for the pizza. If you expanded your horizons and aspirations and got a job at Domino's, you could get to make the whole pizza and maybe (laughs) deliver it. And you'd get your own hat, a nice cap, a badge, and even a big magnet for the top of your car. And you don't get that from Judith. So let's start the report with mozzarella. Uh, When I picked this pizza up, everyone was amazed how volatile the the uh, mozzarella price could be. They were agog in the queue. At the moment, though, it's been remarkably stable across Europe. It's about 2,800 euros. But I've got brilliant news. Where I live in the Midlands, the price has surged by a three to four figure sum in the last week. Um, And it's put on a whopping 500 to 1,000 pence per tonne, all because of my pizza but elsewhere the markets I'm afraid are quiet dead quiet and the trend is more weakening than it is strengthening although the butter prices in Europe haven't moved for 15 consecutive weeks those prices are behind the times and now they are starting to come off and I hear they're 3,200 euros to 3,250 which puts UK valuations below 3,000 sterling. 
Cream is still in the 140s, but again, it's slightly down, slightly weakening on the back of a lack of demand. Uh, skim milk prices, though, are holding at around 2.1 euros or 19.50 sterling. And mild cheddar prices, well, they're pretty good, they're stable, and I'm delighted to see another cheddar maker increase their price for September yesterday. And spot milk is in the high 29s to 30p still. But to end on another mixed note, the futures, well, they're not looking good either. New Zealand futures have fallen significantly across whole milk powder and skim milk powder, and they're way below the last GDT prices. So I'm not betting the Walkland family pile on increases at the GDT auction next Tuesday, I'm afraid. Futures in the UK, in the EU rather, well, they're not brilliant either. They've come off there at one of their lowest levels that they've been in a few weeks, having fallen again. But the reality is they've come down from ridiculously high prices, way above real market prices, and have come down to more realistic levels. So perhaps it's not as bad as it might look. I reckon the, the prices on the futures equate to a milk price less than 26 pence now. So I can't see many more farm gate increases coming through at the moment with the current state of the weakening market. So there you are. That's me done. I'll enjoy my pizza. Ciao. Thanks for that, Chris. Judith, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Um, we're now going to talk about Milk Your Moments. Now, the campaign has generated tangible benefits in that over £100,000 has been raised for the mental health charity Mind. How successful do you think the Milk Your Moments campaign has been and what have you learned from it? Thanks, Ben. And look, it's a real pleasure to be here. And thanks for the opportunity to tell everybody how successful the campaign has been so far. You know, I think it's a campaign that we should all be very proud of. I don't think at the start of lockdown, any of us realised that in addition to all of the other things we would be doing, we would be raising over a million pounds working with a mental health charity, we'd be back on TV and we would be placing adverts all over the place and we would have the reach that we had. But what we did have in our minds were several things that were all equally as important. The first thing is, it was a time of real uncertainty and we knew that we had to try and increase the in-home consumption of dairy products we knew that we wanted to do something for our consumers because we've always been there for them and we wanted to know them to know we were still there for them and we always would be. We wanted to do something that was positive for the sector. It would have been very easy to let everything spiral into negativity, but actually we wanted to just do something that really brought everybody together. And this campaign has, and we've been delighted with the response that we've got from our members, non-members, uh, members of the public, farmers, organizations that have come forward and put funding into this uh, campaign and not just put funding in, but really given us their time and helped us build it. But, you know, it's easy for me to say that, but what are the hard results? And so far we have had some brilliant results that I want to tell you about but there'll be more to come a little bit later on. So as you probably know, one of the big things that we did on this, obviously people were in lockdown, so a lot of this was social-based. And on Facebook, for example, I can tell you that our um, average daily combined reach was over 27 million people 
on Instagram, over 7 million people on Instagram stories, almost 4 million people. And that's actually huge. I mean, it's a huge amount to have done in a very short period of time. And it has blown our targets out of the water that we had when we uh, initially started. And of course, this week, which is the last week of the campaign, we've been working with BuzzFeed on their Tasty channel, uh, promoting dairy-heavy recipes, and that will reach an additional 1.7 million people. So that, on the social media side, has been great. And then out of home, you know, we knew that people were queuing outside supermarkets. They were waiting in line to go in and, and buy product. And we've had uh, over three, well, we've had almost three and a half million impressions of adverts uh, close to retail stores. And we even targeted people on their phone when they were close to a retail outlet. We gave them suggestions, messages about dairy. And that has been brilliant because that's been an almost 9 million impressions that we've managed to get. We were obviously delighted to bring back TV ads after two decades. And I don't know, I, I would hope that people appreciate the fact that when you're trying to make a television advert and you can't go out and film, it's not really that easy, but we really used to the best effect that we could consumer generated content, both from the past and, and for, for the present. So, you know, for the TV, our goal in 14 days of TV adverts was to reach 54% of the population. After eight days, we had already reached 50.3% of the population. And we have the rest of the data waiting to come in on uh, the final figures for that. So when you sum up all of those results, I think that everybody who has been involved in this campaign should be really proud of themselves. And I'm very grateful to everybody, my own team, AHDB, Kites, all of the people who put funding in and time in to make it what it is. And I think it's quite important that I just put out there as well. These are our campaign results. These are the ones we can measure. But our processing members have done a lot of work on social media. They've given a lot of prizes, so they will have even increased the reach. Farmers have done the same. And retailers, particularly Sainsbury's and Asda, have done a lot of things physically in store. And Morrison's and Co-op have given us a lot of exposure on social media. So you know, I think we've done quite well. Yeah. I mean, one of those key partners was, of course, Kite. Um, there's some quite impressive figures there that, that Judith's mentioned, Becky. From Kite's perspective, um, have you been pleased with how it's gone? I, I expect the answer there is, is yes, but... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the, the answer can be anything other than yes. <laughs> and then, I mean, there's a couple of really standouts for, for me. I mean, 50, over 50% of people, based on the numbers so far, have seen the TV advert. That's absolutely phenomenal and I think the other really important one is the the hundred thousand pound to to mind because I think you know that the the whole essence of the campaign connecting back to the consumer you know mind really important um charity and and very relevant to our industry but incredibly relevant to to the you know the whole wider community and and our consumer ultimately um I think there's another couple of spin-offs in terms of you know, as Judith said, and, and we had the discussion with Ash at the time about, you know, for me, bringing everybody together in the industry in such a short space of time, you know, that, you know, has got to be one of the, the key sort of um, wins, I think, 
you know, getting everybody collaborating and 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 participating proactively in the campaign all the way throughout the supply chain. So, you know, at farmer level, we had a great amount of engagement and, and obviously really closely watching the Milky Hour Moments Twitter and Facebook and uh, there, there was an incredible amount of farmer engagement and, and people really got it. So I suppose the, the, the next bit is how, how do you carry on that legacy? How do you take what Judith and, and the team at AHDB and all the other partners have learned and how do you carry on that momentum? Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to target that question straight back to Judith, actually. I mean, <laughs> is there a clear next step? Where do, where do we go from here? There are some next steps. So before we get to the next steps, I have to embarrass Becky here and say that absolutely she has been fabulous in getting a lot of the farmer engagement and spreading the word out there for us. And previously, when we've done campaigns, we have as an industry been dragged into the arguing with the vegan space. And this time around, we gave some very positive messages to farmers about don't 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 be dragged into letting them tell our story. Don't argue with them. Let's, you know, they they what they're saying may be something that is winding you up because sometimes it winds up as, us as well. But if we get dragged into responding to them, they just tell our story and we don't get to tell it ourselves. And I know that Becky was really instrumental in the farmer engagement and very helpful. So thanks for that, Becky. Um, ben, back to your question. So. Yes, obviously today's 31st of July and from today we can no longer use the MIND logo. Um, That partnership has ended today, but that doesn't mean that we won't potentially do things with them in the future. Um, That mental health aspect is very important, not just from the perspective of this campaign or this epidemic, but also the fact that a lot of things that consumers deal with particularly teenage girls, if you think a lot of the negative messaging around food, how it's impacting their mental health, this is something that we may revisit in the future. Um, But uh, for now, what we didn't want to happen today was that all of a sudden, because the campaign funding ends, everything ends, because that would have been a terrible end to a successful campaign. So what we have done now is we have repatriated our assets if you like from the agencies that we have been working with and ourselves in AHDB will keep a low level of activity on the campaign going at least until the end of September around social media so that it doesn't just have a cliff edge end. One of the things I would say is that over the years as an industry we have started campaigning and stopped campaigning and then there's been a gap and we've started and we've stopped And our competitors have just continued. They have continued to talk. Now, a lot of people will say to me, well, is the job not done now? Because you can see by the way people purchased over the course of the lockdown that they really love dairy. And they do. But they have lots of other people in their ears as well. And if we suddenly stop and say job's done, we will lose ground. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Now, we discuss covid on this show a lot and it's been interesting to get perspectives from all over the world on how it might impact the industry um, now that lockdown is easing and covid is hopefully on the wane what's your view on how the industry has come through from both a practical point of view but also from a processor product and a consumer perception perspective well, uh, thanks well maybe if we start with the the consumer because i think judith um has given a pretty comprehensive overview um, of what we have done as a consequence of COVID um, and what we've achieved with the consumer. 
uh, and I would endorse everything that Judith has said uh, and Becky as well. And the one point that I would also make, uh, you know, this was a cross industry campaign, um, but it also involved government um, for the first time. Um, and I think we have to acknowledge that government support um, for the campaign. Uh, at times, we've been critical of government, um, and I, I think it would be remiss of us not to thank uh, and praise government for, for, for their uh, support. Um, if we step back into the supply chain and look at the situation we faced and how we coped um, with what were pretty unique scenarios um, and scenarios that we'd never faced before as an industry, you know, like the campaign, I think we should be proud of what we've achieved to date. Uh, and I would emphasize the to date piece there. Uh, and I'll pick that up at the end. Uh, you know, given the issues with faced, uh, we faced, you know, the first thing we did uh, was we lobbied government uh, and had dairy and other food production designated as essential. Uh, and it is essential. Uh, and that gave us a license to try to operate in what was then a very different and evolving new world. Um, so we had a license to operate. The challenge then came, uh, how were we going to operate? And at the onset of the crisis, you know, the, the numbers that were being predicted were, were pretty scary. Um, and when we distilled those numbers as an industry, uh, you know, we were faced with the distinct possibility that we would lose tanker drivers uh, and be unable to collect milk off farm. Or alternatively, you know, having collected milk off farm, we would lose processing operations uh, and be unable to process that milk. And, and we've seen examples in other sectors of the food industry where plants have gone down. Uh, you know, thankfully, that hasn't been the case to date um, for dairy. Uh, and the reason that hasn't been the case is, you know, overnight we implemented new pro protocols for on-farm collections. Um, as an industry, we devised contingency plans to bring in additional drivers if required. And we also spoke to government uh, and got an extension to driver hours. Um, so that, you know, th those actions look to close out the potential of not being able to collect milk off-farm. From a product perspective, you know, we saw markets disappear overnight. Um, we saw product ranges rationalized uh, significantly, uh, and we saw in some instances, you know, unprecedented demand at retail, retail level, you know, particularly as panic buying uh, kicked in. You know, as an industry, uh, we reacted and overcame all of these challenges, uh, and everyone involved in the dairy supply chain uh, played their part. And like the campaign, we should rightly be proud of that. Um, from a consumer perspective, you know, Judith has covered it, but I think there's greater recognition of the value of locally sourced, uh, nutritious quality food. And I think when we analyze all the data um, coming out of this particular crisis, I think dairy standing with consumers has increased. Um, and that's immediately evidenced by, by some of the stats that Judith has outlined. I had an old boss uh, way back in the dim and distant future, a uh, past, I should say, uh, and he said, never waste a food crisis. Uh, and I think what we've achieved at consumer level, uh, at processor level and at farm level to date, um, you know, is a very good example of us not wasting a good crisis. I suppose the one point of caution uh, that I would add is, you know, there's a perception um, and, and an understandable perception out there among the general population that, that COVID is, is, is over. Um, and I don't want to be, you know, the, the doomsayer, but the reality is COVID's not over. Um, you know, we've heard the predictions about a second wave. We've heard the predictions in terms of the uh, 
um, in cold and wet temperatures. So, you know, from my perspective and an industry perspective, we're only partway through this issue. Um, and we've seen new measures being introduced overnight in, in certain parts of the country. Um, you know, I'm, I'm broadcasting to you from Manchester uh, this morning, and we saw the measures that have been implemented in the greater Manchester area overnight. Um, so I would just caution, you know, all the elements within the supply chain. Um, we're probably at our most vulnerable, um, you know, from a, from a containing the virus perspective, particularly at plant level. It was a lot easier to do when we were in lockdown um, because there was only essential workers out and about. Um, you know, we weren't having the social interaction that's starting, you know, which needs to happen and which is starting to happen. Um, so I would urge, you know, all my colleagues within the supply chain, you know, be it at farm level, um, be it a processor level, be it a retail level, be conscious of the fact that this thing isn't over yet. We're only partway through this game. We should certainly be proud of what we've achieved to date, but we should also be very cautious going forward. Mm. Can I can I just come in there, Paul, with um, a question on Brexit? I suppose um, we've we've got just over 150 days to go until the end of the year when proper Brexit in terms of trade um, takes place. Um, Paul, you've, you've got I mean you've got a GB and a Northern Ireland perspective. Is is the industry going to be ready? And how does Glambia, which exports, I think more cheese than anyone else in the uk um view what's in store yeah so mo- moving quickly from covid to brexit as if we hadn't enough to <laughs> with. Uh, two everyone's favorite <laughs> subjects That's what I would they're say. the only subjects that are important right now <laughs> i would say ben I, I i think we all we all accept that uh, brexit's going to happen uh, on the first of january and i think as a country and an industry we now you know we've got our heads around that and we're starting to move on from the politics but as you rightly say, we have 150 days remaining. Uh, and the key question is, well, what's Brexit going to look like? Um, and the, the, real, the reality is we don't know. You know, we don't know what the trading conditions will look like. Uh, and quite frankly, having praised government uh, a couple of minutes ago, I would say, you know, that's, that's totally unacceptable. Um, you know, we don't know what scenario we're planning for. And if you listen to the recent media reports, it looks like we won't have clarity until October. Uh, and some commentators are even saying uh, that it could go on longer uh, than October. So, so what are we doing as an industry and as a company? Well, we have to plan for both a trade deal and a no trade deal scenario. Um, we've no option at this stage. We do have clarity on what the tariff schedule looks like in a no deal scenario. So that's probably progress um, from where we were um, at, the, at the last uh, cliff edge. And if you look at that tariff schedule, um, assuming that it's in a no-deal scenario, uh, that that continues to be the government policy, that'll affect exports from the UK um, because the European Union uh, will reciprocate with with WTO tariffs. So exports will stop um, and imports will stop as well because WTO tariffs do what it says on the tin. Um, They stop trade. as a business, you know, you've mentioned we facilities in Northern Ireland. Um, so assuming, assuming we don't have a deal, because obviously if we have a deal, things will continue you know, much, uh, much as they are today, albeit with greater regulation. Um, so in a no-deal scenario, you know, under the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, that facility will allow us to service both the, uh, the EU and the UK market. Um, so, you know, again, that's a step forward from where we were uh, at the last uh, Brexit cliff edge. 
And we obviously have, you know, a large scale manufacturing facility in Wales um, and that'll enable us to service the, the UK market. Um, but, but the fact remains, you know, we, we still need clarity on, on what that trade environment is going to look like. Um, you know, will there be tariffs? Will there be customs checks? Uh, what sort of documentation will be required? Um, and as we sit here today, all of that's uncertain. Um, un- uncertainty breeds volatility. And we have enough volatility to deal with at the moment. Judith, um, one major thing that COVID has highlighted from a health point of view is the issue of obesity. Uh, a raft of new measures have been revealed by the government as part of their new obesity strategy, including a ban on TV and online adverts for foods high in fat, sugar and salt before 9pm and an end to special deals such as buy one get one free on similar food products. Um, What could the implications of that be for UK dairy? For us the problem is that dairy products always get caught in the crosshairs of strategies that are put in place to deal with discretionary foods. There has to be a nuance between Foods like milk, cheese and yogurt, which are nutrient rich. They have some calories, they have some fat, but they have a whole raft of vitamins and minerals and are beneficial to health. And those foods that actually, if you didn't have them as part of your daily diet, like the discretionary foods, like the sweets and the confectionery, you might miss them. But they're not really providing you with a a vast amount of uh, nutrition. But it's not all doom and gloom. And I think on a on a Friday podcast, when we're recording on a Friday, it's it's good to say it's not all doom and gloom. So also released this week was the National Food Strategy. And although it has some things in there that would give you pause for thought, Henry Dimbleby has recognized the importance of school meals and uh, school fruit and school milk for children and has actually talked about increasing the availability of school milk for children. So I think you know, there's not necessarily an intention from government that's not about supporting dairy. It's just that simple measures always catch foods like meat and dairy in their crosshairs. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. But many thanks to Judith Bryans, Paul Vernon, Becky Leach and Chris Walkland for coming on the show today. Yes, thanks thanks also to you for listening. Please give this episode a retweet if you found us on Twitter and do let us know if there's something that you'd like us to focus on in a future episode. Message us at Kite Consulting. We'll look forward to you joining us again next week, but for now, it's goodbye from Will, me and all of us here. And we'll see you next time on the Kite Podcast 2020.